Well, I just want to begin by sharing with you, we had a really great day yesterday. Um, some of you were a part of that. We had over a thousand people in our church parking lot. Um, I was so impressed. We had some petting zoo. Someone called and said, can we just bring that so kids can look at that and see that? We also, um, there's a little ferret. I didn't know you could actually handle them, so I was a little bit nervous around it. But anyway, um, we also had then Honey, Mac, Honey and Mackie ice cream, and they also volunteered and said they'd like to come and put these little ice cream in cups for kids. It was just a great, it was a great day yesterday. I'm so grateful for our family team and for Sarah and others who, Sarah Galligan, our um, kids pastor who helped organize and put this together. Um, just grateful for what a, a great impact we had on the community because many of the people who came through were people who um, were not necessarily a part of this church, and so we were able to bring some joy that way into uh, many people's lives and touch them. Um, the other thing I want to do is this is just an incredibly important week. Um, we all are aware that the Vikings are playing the Packers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, wouldn't that be great if that's all it was? It's an incredibly important week as we think of the elections, and I want to pray a brief prayer, but I'm really going to begin this prayer with what what Paul writes to Timothy. And you have to understand, when he writes these words, he's writing in a context where the Roman emperor, uh, there was great persecution. And it's more than likely in Nero's reign. And he was not good to either Jews, nor was he good necessarily to the people of the way the early believers. And he writes these words as a sense of, here's the goal that I'd like for government to provide. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then he says, for kings and all those in authority. That had to hit some people really hard. Are you kidding And here's the reason, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And it is in that kind of environment the word of God spreads. So I'm going to pray. Father, we pray as we have experienced incredible tension Racially, people who are suffering financially in fear of loss of jobs. We come before you because, God, there is a time as we enter again another month of COVID where we are crying out and saying, God, when will you bring health and you will bring some sense of normalcy back to not just us, but people around the world? And so, God, we do pray as we consider the great polarization in our country, even politically. We stand here before you, God, and recognize that, God, you appoint, you allow all who are in authority for a reason and a purpose. And we pray, God, that your purposes would be done, that you would do just what you said, that you would place people in office, that, God, we might live quiet and peaceful lives, that the the gospel would be able to reach the hearts of people with the good news of the greatest peace they can know, that they are forgiven and they are loved by you, our Father. And so, God, we come before you 
And as we take responsibilities as believers to vote, we ask you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that you would lead us, and that God, through all this, we pray that you would be glorified and your church united and your land would move into a time of peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in this uh, study in Acts, and I read these words from Chuck Swindoll. And he says, Suddenly, unexpectedly, abruptly, not like a flood, where the river rises and leaves the banks, not like a hurricane that builds strength over the waters, but like a sudden jolting earthquake, a noise shook the house. I don't know. Has anybody experienced an earthquake before? If you have, or you lived out west, and you talk to anybody out there, it is one of the most unsettling experiences because unlike all the rest where you can see it coming, your feet just, everything starts to move. There is a sense you come unfounded and unglued. Luke tries to, in this passage, when we look at Acts chapter 2, and this is a, a historic passage that has been read, you've maybe read it a number of times, or maybe for you it's the first time you're hearing it, but he says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And I want you to notice that the word wind is a very interesting word, and the Greek word is the word na'e, which basically means wind or breath. And I would probably say a very windy breath came from heaven. That's the way to look at it. It's the idea of the breath of God moving with such a a loud, um, uh, forceful sound. So he's trying to describe the indescribable. Think of standing next to, if you want to, a jet engine that's at takeoff. And and minus the wind, just think of how loud it would be if you're standing next to it. That's kind of what he's trying to describe. It's not like a wind where the, the, the papers are floral up and the and the and the curtains are are are, are flowing and and beating wildly with a wind. It's just the sound like a jet engine. Luke tries to describe the indescribable. He shares with us as an amazing sight that accompanies the sound. So it's not only what they heard, it's also what they saw. It says in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Over each they heard, and they heard this noise and they saw these like ribbons or if you've been by a fire and you see these, the, kind of how the tongues lap up, you know how they go up? It's, these, it's this, kind of, this kind of image that he's giving us that, that settles on each of them. It's the word fire is what he uses. He could have used lightning or a whole bunch of other d- different words, but he didn't. It's this ethereal light of God's glory is what he says they saw, which is so often referred to in the Old Testament as the Shekinah. And when it appears in the Old Testament, it always is a sense of God's presence being made known and manifest. Moses saw a bush and it was burning, not consumed. The people of Israel saw a pillar of light, again like a tongue of light, that led them on the way through the wilderness. And we're also told that behind the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant, was also this ethereal light, this what they called a fire. So that's what they heard and that's what they saw. They were gathered together, they heard something, they were gathered together, they saw something. Guess what? They were gathered together and out of them 
they spoke, they said something. Not some ecstatic heavenly tongue, but in a language of all the people who were gathered around from every city so that they could hear. And they were utterly amazed because they said, aren't these Galileans who are speaking? They couldn't understand the people who were standing from all these different places. And so as we look at this, the first thing I just want to have us look at is all these words of of unexpectedness. And I want to think about this and I want us to think about as a church, I want you to think about this individually as well. This is this great passage of God where the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, you would not have the guidance of God. You wouldn't have a revelation of God. You wouldn't have the understanding to understand scripture with any understanding. You wouldn't have empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so if you look at uh, Luke 24 um, and 49, Jesus promises this is going to come. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed from power on high. And so in these verses that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2, Luke emphasizes the unexpectedness of it all with a number of words. These expressions of surprise you see in verse 2, suddenly. Verse 6, the word bewilderment. Verse 7, Utterly amazed. Verse 12, again he uses this word amazed, which is really a colorful word that is a sense of a person is so surprised, um, they're at a loss to even understand it. It's like they're besides themselves in awe. They're perplexed. How can you explain this? Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you would, I'd ask you to stand as we read the word of God. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were of the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty, windy breath, is what I would say, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like ribbons of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this roaring sound, everyone came running and they were bewildered because each one of them could hear the believers speaking in their own languages. They were utterly amazed. Aren't these all Galileans speaking? How is it we can hear each one of them in our native language? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Yet we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what can this mean? Some, however, made fun, ridiculing them, saying, they're just drunk on new wine. That's all. Father, open our hearts and our ears to what you want to say to each and every one of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What I want you to notice is what is kind of unexpected here in one sense could have been expected because Jesus had been telling them for quite some time to be prepared for the fact that he was going to move among them and he would 
have them continue the ministry that he began on earth. He tells them that in chapter one when we looked at that. So what I want to share with you is what I believe are some commitments that are important. And, and I will share them in a sense. It's some commitments that I believe our body as a church needs to make. They are also commitments that I think you can personally, individually make. And so it is these commitments, and you see these commitments, it's through these commitments that God puts you in a place for him to move in and through you. And so here are the things that that I see in this passage of scripture. One is just a commitment to prayerful dependency. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You have to go back also to Acts chapter 1, verse 13, because there again they're told what they were doing. They were told to wait for some time until Jesus would move again through his spirit. He would somehow let them know, and they were waiting. And what they were doing in this time, it says in verse 13, um, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They were prayerfully dependent, waiting upon God and moving with God. The Passion Translation puts it this way. All of them were united in prayer gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. This was, in many ways, an unusual place for very active disciples and followers of Jesus to be. If you think about it, they had lived with him, and they had traveled with him, and they were people of action. They were seeing Jesus again and again. He would heal, he would teach, he was constantly on the move. That was the ministry that he began, that they saw, and now he's saying, I want you to wait. And he says, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to continue to live prayerfully dependent on me. And so he says, pause, wait, pray. I am doing a new thing, and for you to do what I did, you need my power. And it only comes through prayerful dependency. Because that kind of prayerful dependency puts us in a position for God to work. I was um, speaking with a, a friend of mine. He, uh, I got out of the blue uh, an email from a friend who I hadn't talked with for almost a couple of years, two and a half years. And we were close when he lived in Minneapolis. And he said, Are you, if you're not Zoomed out, I'd love to do a Zoom meeting with you. I thought, okay, that's great. Let's, let's do it. And I set it up. And he said, I'd love to catch up. He, he retired about 50 years of age. He was an executive with some health partner companies, which I guess allows you to retire at 50. Um, <clears throat> he was with some in Colorado, came to Minnesota, ended up retiring at that age, and, and then moving out to California. And through a series of things, became an executive pastor for a church for a period of time. He's on the Zoom with me. And at one point in the conversation... He said to me, and I'm knowing the kind of person he is who likes to be busy and active. He said, COVID goes against every way I'm wired. I want clarity and control. I'm all about building plans and systems. I like long-range forecasts and, and goals. And I'm going, yeah, all those things aren't happening right now, right? He said, with COVID, I am learning to expect ambiguity, accept uncertainty, and live in a sense of prayerful dependence. He re- said, I've been reciting the Lord's Prayer lately, and, and the Lord's Prayer has been such a helpful reminder because it says at one point, give us this day our daily bread. And he said, I, I find myself saying that over and over again because I have wanted to live on the annual plan, at least weekly plan. Give me my loaf of bread, And I can make sure it gets covered throughout the week, right? 
The kind of people, the kind of church that God moves to are the kind of people who live in that kind of dependency that say, God, you are our, our bread. You are our life. We want to be in this daily dependency. Doesn't mean you'll make long-range plans, but how do you do it in a time of COVID? Another commitment that I see in here is, again, in verse 1, and what I, I think is so important about this in this time that we're in right now, is listen to these words. It's the words where he says to the people um, that he he wants them in, in chapter two, verse one. He says, "On the day of Pentecost, all the believers um, were meeting together in one place." Now that doesn't mean that every last one was, but it's the idea that that was happening on a regular basis. They were in this place of prayerful dependency, and they were doing it together as a group. They were doing it as one. And, and, and so in this time, there's this commitment of what I call to do it together, to be united, to be, to be around what Jesus is calling the group to do. And as I thought about this, I thought if you read through um, Acts, you'll find this theme all throughout it. You'll find again and again, they were doing this together. But it wasn't without any difficulty. They were living at a time when, when it wasn't this kind of easy, you know, kind of life that you, you know, wasn't without struggle and difficulty and it wasn't without a sense of what's going to happen next. They were living at a time when all kinds of things were changing in their own faith. There were not just the things that were going on with Rome, just for Israel as a whole, which things were happening at that time, but even further than that, they were as a community going through incredible change. They were no longer people of the temple. They began to realize they were temples of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have maybe some of this knowledge right away, but there were things around ceremonial laws that were beginning to change. There were all kinds of different habits and traditions that they were so used to that now were also being put aside. And and they had all kinds of room, think about it, all kinds of room to, to begin to faction up. You could easily have read, possibly in this time, that some were meeting in this room who really liked to wash their hands in a certain way, and some were meeting in this room who really believed that you needed to be in the temple all the time. You could see it breaking apart. But not only was there kind of this change that was happening in worship, there was this external change that was, that was happening. They were being persecuted by others who, who didn't believe in Jesus and who didn't believe in this followers of the way. And then there was also within the church some internal stuff going on. There were people <clears throat> who were acting righteous. They were acting as if they were prayerfully dependent. But as we'll see a little bit later, like an Ananias and Sapphira, who out of self-righteousness thought they could lie to the Holy Spirit, began to introduce hypocrisy into the church. And again, it could have split things. But they did it together. I um, think of what we're going through right now. As a church with COVID, I have to tell you, um, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I read among lead pastors who have a struggle with their congregation and have even division in their own congregation over a thing called a mask. And I am so grateful, whether you believe in it or not, we do it out of love and respect. 
And so you look at this and you go, we could have our own things. We've been talking about this as being a pause that God has called us as a church to pause as he begins to speak to us, to listen to him and then to listen to one another so that he can reset us. Because we've talked about we don't want to go back to, there's a lot of normal things we want, but we believe that the church is being reset in such a way, our church is being reset in such a way that as God's spirit begins to move, through this, God is going to do some new things and we want to be a part of it. So we are going to be in a place where we'll be saying, here's how we sense the Lord working through us. This is what we heard from you. This is what we heard from God through you. And this is what we believe God is calling us to. And I can tell you, when we begin to move into that place, there will be people who will go, you know what? I would rather meet in this upper room because I kind of like this and this upper room. And I am going to just tell you, folks, let's do this together. Let's move together like they did in this early church. I, I was walking with Grace, and, and one of the great, as I've told you before, uh, kind of silver linings of the whole COVID thing is the opportunity to do Zoom meetings so that I can do those early in the morning, and then I take a moment of time with Grace, and we go for a walk, and then I go back into other meetings. Well, we're walking along the other day, and she points out to, um, I think you have that picture up there, she said, boy, and she was listening to something, I think she was listening to, uh, uh, what's her name, my, uh, Joyce Myers, uh, my, uh, my aunt, just kidding, um, not at all, she's not, anyway, I think she was, she was talking about unity and about how important it is, and Grace kind of said, you know, that's a great expression of unity right there. We walked there that day with the snow in the front and the snow packed together. The next day we go by and there's no snow there, but that thing's still standing. And I have to ask you, you know, why? Because they're, think about it, they're unique snowflakes that have been put together in such a way that they form a bond, that they stay together. Now, now when it comes to 50, 60 degrees, they won't be there, right? I get that. So the, all these analogies kind of break down at a certain point. But you get this sense of here they are staying together. Here's what's true about us. When we talk about unity and doing something together, it does not necessarily mean that you will have the same ideas as someone else. You may not have exactly the same beliefs. You have to begin to say, what are core beliefs? What are the things that hold us together? It, it may be that a person sees the way that they live their life a bit differently than you do. They did in the New Testament. Paul would often say, hey, you know what? If it causes another brother sin, you maybe don't want to be doing that. Or if someone is um, having difficulty with, you may want to not eat that. That's, that's always been characteristic. We are a people who not only are perfectly dependent, but we are also doing this together in such a way that he is taking unique people like you and me who come from different backgrounds and different understandings, who will even in some ways look at some of Scripture and translate it Differently, I, I, one of the things I do really admire about the the free church that we're a part of is they were birthed as a movement out of Norway and Denmark, and they were a, out of the free movement a, away from the state church in that time, which regulated things. They actually were persecuted for doing communion together as a church because the only way in their mind in the state church is you had to have a authorized. Um, pastor or or a Lutheran bishop or someone who would act who would who would be authorized to give you communion and had to be in a church. And so a lot of them were fleeing that kind of thing. They all came over and many of them came over and they believed in infant baptism. And so when the free church was forming, they had a whole group that believed in um, adult baptism, they had a group that believed in infant baptism or I should say believers baptism and, and infant baptism. 
And here's what the church said. What's most important to us, and they, they listed 10 statements of faith, that I think if you read it, you'll see those are really critical things. These are core beliefs, but we also believe in other things. People in churches and even churches within our denomination may do these things differently. But what's important is this. And what was important for them was they followed Jesus and they knew that in Jesus was the life and the salvation who revealed the Father by grace as they put their faith in him. And that was core to the church. And then there's another commitment that I would encourage you to think about. It's the commitment, what I, what I wrote, is to wait for God to move. And when I looked at it again, I thought I might even say, it's the commitment to move when God moves. That's, that's maybe even more applicable to us. To move when God moves. There are times when God says, wait. They had no idea what this was going to look like. Here they are, they're praying, and they're dependent on him, and they're, they're staying together as one. They're not breaking into factions. They're saying, we're going to do what God's calling us to do. And when he moves, whatever that looks like, we want to move with him. That's part of the Holy Spirit given to you. Holy Spirit actually speaks to you. The Holy Spirit will prompt you. And, and when he prompts you to move, he, he's calling you to move. When he's saying, look, it, I want you to tell that person you're going to pray for them. But man, they... You ever heard what they said about, tell them you're going to pray for them. Go over and, 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 and to that person who has not been kind to you, instead of turning your back on them, be kind to them. I, I don't know how the Spirit of God prompts you to live out your life daily, but he does. He calls us to live like Jesus did. And so in this sense of commitment to move when God moves, what I find is really interesting here is he was basically saying, don't try and do some of this stuff in your own flesh and your own strength and your own wisdom. Can you imagine if they tried to do this in their own strength, in their own flesh, through their own wisdom? I, I, can you, I, I can't even imagine. You have to put yourself in their shoes. They would have to be, over the 40 days, strategizing together and say, we want to do this move. We want Jesus to be known everywhere. Um, and, and when they think everywhere, I think they're just thinking Jerusalem and Israel, hopefully. Right? That's, that's what's on their mind. And, and they're thinking, well, when should we do it? And everyone's got different ideas, but God had his own. The timing of this was critical. It was Pentecost. It was 50 days after the Passover meal, after Jesus died as the Passover lamb and then was raised again. He spent 40 days with him. Another 10 days comes the week of what they call harvest or the harvest festival. It's the great party. Two of three festivals would bring people back to Israel, to Jerusalem specifically. That's what's happening here. People from every nation are coming because it's the harvest party. You don't want to miss the harvest party. How many of you would like to go to a kind of joyful harvest party or would you rather go to a repentant sad party? I think a lot of people wanted to make this party. And they were God-fearing people who came. And the timing of it's significant because God was lining up these Old Testament revelations and he was lining up with New Testament revelations. He was building on the Old Testament. He never got rid of the Old Testament. He built on the Old Testament and he built on the Old Testament this harvest festival. Jesus was the first fruits so that the Spirit of God would enter us and we would be the next fruits that would come along and through the Holy Spirit. This day was the day he chose. He lined it up. 
And then I think, boy, if they're going to try and do it in their own strength and in their own, in their own mindset, they would have um, probably thought, how do we get a bunch of people, how do we get people who are God-fearers, who are open to the gospel to maybe, you know, help other people? And, and, and God has this incredible plan. Acts 2, 9 through 11. And I'm going to read to you it in a version that I've kind of put together myself so you can understand where it comes from. It moves from the west to the east. And the west being all the way like Iraq and Iran. Listen to this. It says, we, here they are, they're hearing these, these people speak in these languages and they go, we are northeastern Iranians, northwestern Iranians, Eliamites, which were Kuzitan, I can't even say it. Anyway, you, it, up there and there in Russia. Anyway, those from Mesopotamia, Iraq, parts of Syria, southwestern I, Iran, Judea, east central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, north central Turkey, southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans, who are the neighbors of Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire. So from the west, the Parthians, these people who were from northeastern Iran, which was the power at that day in the east, all the way to Rome, the power in the west. And it says they came from all these places from the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. They were in the city. So God, not only in his timing on Pentecost, he also knew how to bring the right people together. And and now think about it. How would you, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, we've got to do this. And they're trying to work it out in their own strength, in their own flesh. They're not listening to God. They're just trying to figure this out. And they go, how do we do this? How do we get people to hear? Do we just start preaching? And I think this is so cool. Because the way they do it would never have been imagined. He says, let's give them tongues. God startles them. Think about it. Who would have come up with that strategy? Let's get everybody to Jerusalem. Then, then let's, when they arrive, let's get this big wind machine so we can get, gather a crowd. And, and when the crowd comes, let's speak in whatever languages. And you can see them. Okay, let's do this. Um, how, many, how many knows Parthian? And it's crickets. And, and then he, he probably asked, how many know Mesopotamian? Raise your hand. No one raises their hand. I mean, they didn't have the capability to do it. Only God did. And so God brings them together, speaks in language the works of God, and the people are like in awe. They can't understand it. They're asking, tell us, what happened here? Who's behind this? What is this about? I really believe if we are in a prayerful, dependent place, if you are in that place and you choose to say, let's do this together, and then we say, God, we're going to move when you move. Whenever you move, we're going to move. We're going to move according to your strength, according to your wisdom, and according to what you put in place because only you have the power to do what you've placed in our hearts to do, and that's to see a whole lot of people know the grace and love of Jesus. Verses 2 through 13 says, They stood there amazed, perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. I can share with you. If you listen to what he says, that others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. I can promise you when God moves, it may not look the way you think it's going to look. And there's a good chance you're going to go, This is weird. You're going to have a, in your spirit going, Is this biblical? You're going to have all these things going on in your heart. And then a commitment to what I call persistent faithfulness. God wants, I believe, faithful obedience. 
Because God in that time when they're waiting was moving his kingdom forth. They didn't even understand it. I mean, the most they understood is could we get this message to Israel? They, they had no idea the worldwide implications. In fact, they even fought it. This can't be biblical. This is Gentiles. That could have been another big divide. In fact, it was. From that day on, when they did that, there were Judaizers who went around and said, you have to be circumcised. But God continued to move through them. And what I find is interesting is they didn't actually need to understand all of it to obey. Isn't that, isn't that cool? That God doesn't expect you to understand everything. He doesn't expect you to get the whole big picture. That's, he doesn't expect you to get all the little details. There are many times you'll find that you don't understand. I think at one time when this guy was um, a leper before Jesus and Jesus healed him and he gets up and he's been socially isolated. He is so excited. He can't wait to tell everybody, go home and just share. And Jesus tell him, don't say a word about this to anybody. That made no sense. But Jesus was doing it for a reason because he wanted to go into places where he could come in, not as this miracle worker, but one who could tell about the kingdom of God and, and what it meant for them to have a Messiah. And so he asked him to do it. You may not understand what sometimes God's asking you to do. You don't have to. Here's what you do need to do. God doesn't expect you to do big things even for him. I really believe he wants you to do the next little thing he's placed before you. That's it. I want you to think about that. As the worship, as they come forward, we're going to take communion here in a second. But God is not looking for you to understand. He's not necessarily looking for you to um, do something big and great. He's just asking you to be prayerfully dependent to do this with a group of people. And when the Spirit prompts, when he moves, you move. And when you see him moving, you also then continue just to do the next little thing. Be persistently faithful. Be obedient to what he calls you to. Now think about it. What if some of them chose not to be? What if someone said, you know what? This is weird. I heard this noise. I see these flames of tongues. Someone said I had one over my head. But you know what? I am not gonna, I'm not gonna speak this gibberish. I don't have any idea what this language is, but I'm not gonna do it. This is weird. If one of them would have not done that, there would have been a whole group of people who would not have heard the gospel because that person who heard it from that area, let's say Parthian area, went back there and was a seed for when the gospel would come later. That's how important it is that we do what seems to be maybe not big, it could be weird, and we don't understand it, but God is just saying, do the next little thing before you. And I think God is calling us to do that as a church. When you came in, you um, were having an opportunity to grab some communion, a cup, and in it is also a wafer. If you didn't, please just go in the back and you can pick one up. For those of you on live stream, I just ask you if you don't have some communion, some bread, or some juice, or something to take with us, um, just to take this moment and listen as the worship team plays. I want you to recognize when we take this together, and I'm not going to tell you when to take it. I'm going to ask you to listen as they sing, and at a certain point when you're ready, take it. And we may take it at different times, but we're doing this together. I'm going to ask you to enter into this with prayerful dependence. 
God loves you. If you failed him, he says, I love you. I give you grace. I just ask you not to dwell on that, but to dwell on my forgiveness right now. For some of you, if you know you're living in a way where it's just not in sync with what God's calling you, here's a great opportunity. God's not standing over you condemning you. He's, he's saying, please get in line again because your own actions will bring your own pain. Because I don't want you to go that route. I'm calling you this way. So prayerfully, dependently, we'll do this together. I'm going to ask you to do whatever that next thing God is prompting you to do. Pay attention to him this week. Pay attention to him during this whole listening to God and listening one other time. As we got, allow God to just use this pause to reset our hearts with him.
that you have eaten is the body that was broken for the sin of ourselves that had been taken on him and and he took that punishment and this cup which you drank of is the cup that places the, the life of God in us for the forgiveness of our sins thank you Lord Thank you for this meal. It's called a communion meal. Because the reason we do this together is because of you. And you are the foundation. You are the bread of life. You are the light of this world. And we stand together around that as your servants, as your children. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. I want to share with you just a few things before we go to one last song. Um, and I think it's important, this passage of Scripture, I don't believe they had any understanding of how important this, this um, breath of God that was breathed on them They have no idea the import of what this meant, not just for them personally, but for what it meant for the whole world, what it means for you and me. Because what happened in this is that God was doing something incredibly profound, and unless you have an understanding of the first few pages of Scripture, you won't understand these last few pages of Scripture, which is what we call, we're now in this last time. We are in this last time. It may seem like a long last time, but we have entered the last time. The last great act of God was what he did through Jesus, and the second and the final act of God through Jesus will be his return. But this is what's really important to note. In Genesis, at a point, it says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain 
in Shinar and they settled there and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So here's an act in defiance against God. Now listen to what the Lord says. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people were building. And the Lord said, This is such an incredible line. If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Don't let that just pass. These are people defiant. God comes down and says in one spirit they move together with one language and they can do this. Well, we know because of sin, people will never ultimately be able to do this. But he says... If, as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down, confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Now think of Acts 2. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped the building And that's why they called it Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. What God did at Pentecost on Acts 2 was reverse that curse. He is calling a people together who through the Holy Spirit have the ability to speak one language for one God, to do one thing for him together. And guess what? If if people could almost do this in defiance of God... Catch this. What if we, even this little church, we did it in small groups. We did it together. And we said we will prayerfully dependent, do this thing together, move as God moves, and then stay persistently faithful, be obedient to the next little thing he's calling us to do. Just think if we did this together. We're not doing it opposed to him. We're doing it with him. We now have his Holy Spirit. We actually speak one language. He's reversed the curse. What is going on now, we have the opportunity to move in some, some things of God that I believe in the coming days will be really profound. Just think. Who knows after this pause and God resets. What if 50 years from now, people will look back and see what we didn't see? What if this pause and reset time of COVID is being used by God to move his kingdom forward in ways we can't see and we can't understand? And will we be faithful? Will we be people who humble ourselves and move into it? See, we don't know. This could actually lead into one of the greatest, largest, most significant awakening revivals ever. Possibly, as some have heard, even an end times kind of revival. The kind of an awakening that, that Jesus promised could happen someday. It may be one before that. We don't know. But we do know this. God has given us his spirit. And he's calling on our hearts to say, whatever you're calling us to do, reset us and do it so that you might receive glory. Let's stand together and we're going to sing this last song. Father, just hear our prayers. We come before you. We say once again, blow with a mighty wind of your breath in us and through us and among us. As we listen to you and one another, reset us and reset your church, not just here, but the churches all around here. Those who are also seeking you, prayerfully dependent, those who are seeking to do it together, God, those who are seeking to move as you move, and those, God, who are persistently faithful to you, would you blow with your spirit upon them. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.